Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle's programme all about the built environment. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Coming up today, in a special edition, we mark the programme's partnership with worldwide leader in sustainable construction, Saint-Gabin, by sitting down with the conglomerate's CEO. We spend 80% of our time in buildings within four walls, but it's not just four walls. It's a place where you take care of people, you cure people, you educate, you create, you spend time with your family. So it's extremely important to think about the built environment and the benefits for the people. Benoit Bazin is here to tell his story and share his passion for building and enhancing quality of life in great cities all around the world. That's ahead in the next 30 minutes, right here on The Urbanist with me, Andrew Tuck. Benoit Bazin, thank you so much for joining me today on The Urbanist. Perhaps, first of all, so that our listeners can understand a little bit about your life and career, you can tell us how you came to be running this amazing company. I grew up in Normandy from a family of doctors, so nothing related to construction or industry, but then I graduated in civil engineering from Ecole Polytechnique and Ecole des Ponts et Chaussées in France, and then I went to MIT in the US because I thought getting some international flavor was important. So I devoted most of my professional life to Saint-Gobain after some years in the French administration. But for me, you know, a very decisive year, one a year where I was a trainee at Saint-Gobain in a manufacturing environment, which I liked very much, and making things and making products and seeing the output and uh, how it can uh, service, you know, the, the built environment was something uh, quite decisive for me. And then I thought I would come back to Saint-Gobain after some years outside. And uh, since 1999, I've been there, so almost 24, 25 years, and uh, quite excitement because it's a fantastic company and uh, a lot of great teams. And on top of that, I'm also a board member in the Cité de l'Architecture in France. It's a bit the home of the architects and at Vinci, which is a general contractor company. So a lot related to construction. So you could say I dedicated quite of my time to building materials industry and also as a construction market. And just tell people a little bit about the scale of this company. I looked and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but some 51.2 billion turnover in 2022, 168,000 employees. This is exactly right. And we operate in 76 countries. And it's always fascinating to see both what we have in common between the different countries on manufacturing processes and also what is different and how you build in Vietnam, how you built in India, in Canada, in Mexico. So, yes, we are truly international in our mindset and also in our teams. And on top of that, as you know, we have a long history within Sangaba, 357 years in operation. So that gives you a lot of confidence to reinvent the future all the time and make sure that we have this long-term vision, which I think is necessary in the world of today to truly take on the challenges and uh, and push up uh, push up the envelope. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about that vision and, and how the construction industry is changing. But again, just before we dive in, could you explain to people the range of things that your company does? Because I don't think many people would know, for example, that you make the curved windows for high-speed trains, that you're in the world of glass, in making ceilings, in insulation, in piping. 
a huge number of fields. When you describe it to people you meet at conferences, if they don't know the scale of your business, how do you explain what you do? Well, the main theme of Saint-Gobain is clearly, you know, sustainable construction. So when you think of buildings, you think of the building envelope from the roofing, the ceilings, the facade, the windows, the flooring, the partitions, anything related to the envelope of a building, we make the products. And we make them with a lot of performance on top of sustainability, be it thermal comfort, acoustic, visual light, air quality. So this is about Saint-Gobain. We started with building materials science, and this is why sometimes we apply the science of materials towards other markets. As you mentioned, you know, glass could be for automotive, could be for high-speed train. Most of the time, it's for buildings around the world. But we have this huge knowledge on materials, material science, and we apply it mostly to building science and construction markets. So this is the scope of Saint-Gobain, which makes it unique because we have this ability to develop solutions. If you are an architect and you ask for a facade, then we can provide the aesthetics of the facade. Of course, the thermal performance, be it with glass, all kinds of coatings on glass, be it with a ventilated facade with insulation, plasterboard behind that. So we have this ability to combine products for the best solution in terms of not only sustainability, but also performance. So this is the scope of Saint-Gobain. And we, of course, try to reinvent ourselves and reinvent the materials. We are extremely active on innovation, on patents around the world. We have been classified for many years in a row as the top 100 innovators in the world. So I think it's uh, fascinating to see how things are changing today and how we can leverage the building material science of Saint-Gobain on so many applications. And tell me, so 1999, you joined this company. You've been there a long time, but the company is 350 years old. You joined in 1999. How much has the construction industry changed between then and now? Well, it's changed that I think we all realized that we cannot build anymore like we used to build 20, 50 years ago. Now we have to build with sustainability, performance in mind. So we are at this tipping point where if I'm a contractor, if I'm an architect, I have to think about the life cycle analysis of the materials. I have to think about the kilowatt per square foot, per square meter of performance. I have to think of urban planning. So we have a much more holistic approach. We even have to think about what's the productivity on the job site in terms of logistics. We have to cope with a changing workforce. So I think it's a a much more, you know, broader approach about the construction sector, which is good because we can bring so much in terms of innovation, in terms of impact for the construction sector. It's truly at the crossroad of the major contemporary challenges. Climate change, of course, energy efficiency. We have seen energy crisis in Europe in the last years, the preservation of natural resources, we know how much it takes, you know, within construction, roughly half of all the natural resources around the planet, fast urbanization for emerging markets. So truly the construction sector, and that makes it extremely important and, and fascinating. We are at the crossroad of the major challenges of the world. So we have also a duty to make a strong, positive 
contribution and, and the collective mobilization of our sector to answer those needs. The positive, because I'm very optimistic, is that the technical solutions, you know, they do exist. The question is how you scale up, how you speed up. And this is why a corporation like Saint-Germain being in 76 countries, we have also this mission, this duty to scale up good innovation, good ideas on sustainability, on performance, and how you lead the construction sector going forward versus the past. And this is why our purpose is making the world a better home. So I think what has changed is we all realize how much construction and the construction industry and the built environment can bring not only to the planet, but also to well-being of the population. Now, I'm a scientist. I'm, I'm a developer within Sangaban. I come to see you with a new idea. As you say, you're, you're standing at these crossroads. What are the questions? I think you've hinted at some of them there, but what are the questions you're asking those people before you press play on any new material, on any new construction device? Is it about energy? Is it about does it use less water? Is it about it being recyclable? What are the tick boxes that any product now has to get past to go onto your roster of things that you will offer clients? Well, truly, it is the overall environmental footprint, making sure that on our side, we drop the CO2 content of our materials as much as we can. Second is also making sure that upfront in the design, we think that the ability to recycle the material at the end of its lifetime. So that's, I would say, internally, how we design with our researchers, with our product managers, the different materials. And second, is it going to be assembled, installed in a system? And what is the performance it will bring to the buildings, to the architect, to the homeowner, not only in terms of energy efficiency, of course, but also in terms of air quality, in terms of acoustic. So what are the properties which are necessary and how we should think of them in a system versus a product-by-product product approach? Because again, we are at this tipping point of the construction sector where if we are in silos, it doesn't work. It doesn't optimize the performance. So we always think on how we are going to put the products together in a system so that we can maximize the positive impact of our solution. Now, it's amazing creating all of these solutions. We'll talk a little bit about that again in a second. But just tell me, I presume you, you have to walk and progress in step with governments around the world and their ambitions and what they're asking for. But also the client, when you now meet people in the construction industry who are putting up new buildings or renovating existing ones, do you find that everybody is roughly in the same place or are you still having to persuade people to do better, to think more about the planet, to raise their game? I think it does still vary a lot country by country. So clearly the government, the regulator, they have a big role to play in terms of pushing the envelope on minimum energy performance. If I take the example of, of France, for instance, now we have for any building a diagnosis of energy performance from A to G, and you have to raise the bar, you have to meet certain threshold in order to get there. So uh, governments also have a different perception on that. And, and this is also our mission to spread the good solutions. After that, of course, the building owners could have a different perception. Sometimes it's easier to start with non-residential high-end buildings. I give the example of a, 
you know, we made the headquarters of Google in India with our newly developed electrochromic glass, a fantastic product. So you start with the high end and progressively you move down in terms of different buildings and different uh, residential applications. So it varies. I think the, the other challenge that we face is that altogether, you know, the construction sector is a very fragmented value chain. To some extent, the challenge is not always the technical solution, but the challenge is more to convince all the players on this fragmented value chain. A city mayor in terms of permitting and all the actions they could take and drive. I went the, with the mayor of Phoenix, where they take fantastic actions to mitigate the climate change impact in, uh, in Phoenix. You have the architects, you have the craftsmen that you need to train. Uh, so a lot of stakeholders that, um, you know, you, you have to convince and we, we have to play and to act collectively, of course, the manufacturers. So it varies a lot. I think it's moving in the right direction, but the goal is to truly take the best ideas and move them forward as fast as we can because there is urgency on how we build and how we bring something positive for the planet and the well-being of the population. The construction industry, like all industries, is based on delivering new schemes at cost. Does innovation cost more than the status quo? So if I'm trying to make a better building... At this point, are you sometimes in the role of explaining to people, look, this is going to cost a little bit more up front, but in the long term, there are savings here and there are environmental gains that you just cannot ignore. How much are you having to be an advocate for the planet as you go out? I think overall, it doesn't cost more as long as you design it well. So, of course, if you do things at the last minute, sometimes when it's disorganized, it could cost more. But if we have the right planning if we use digital in terms of business applications and building modeling, uh, if we have the right logistic, then it doesn't cost more at the end of the day. What is sometimes important to uh, discuss and to document is that the upfront cost could be a bit higher. But when you think of the full life cycle of the building, the maintenance cost, you know, if you take a very highly efficient building, your operating cost will be much lower than something else. So uh, yes, the construction cost could be higher, but the OPEX could be lower. The way to dismantle uh, the building at some point or replace some elements would be lower. So what is new to the construction sector is not only to think of the upfront cost, but the operating cost, the maintenance of the buildings, and potentially the dismantling of the building. I'll give you one example where we have been very happy to participate in the Olympic village of uh, Paris for 2024, we have designed some special partitions so that at the end of the Olympics, those places are going to change to office and to housing. But if you don't design it upfront, then it will be more costly. If you design it well upfront, then it makes it very relevant to have this modularity of the buildings that will lower the cost and, of course, optimize the value of the building. So, I think we have a lot of solutions, but you need to think more in terms of holistic approach during the long lifetime of the building, including the recycling of materials or the changes of the applications. And it's interesting because I guess sometimes we think of your world as a world of pure business, of science, of construction, but you're hit by social changes as well. So we saw the pandemic. Now we see many buildings as work patterns change, having to be 
rebuilt, often in difficult ways and remodelled. But maybe do you think that some of the lessons you're learning in the Olympic Village, this modularity, this flexibility, is what we need to be thinking with all our construction and building materials going forwards? Yeah, I think it's something which is very important because, again, we know unfortunately that climate change is accelerating. So how we mitigate the impact of climate on, on buildings, how also with an aging population, we make sure that, you know, if you are in your house with one, two, three, four children, when they, they leave, they may come back with grandchildren. How do you have this adaptation of your house, your dwelling uh, during this uh, evolution of life? So th- there are many, many applications, whether for developing markets, whether for mature markets, where buildings have to cope with different uses. And I think also we realize in urban planning that it's not good to have offices on one side and uh, housing on the other side and huge time for transport. It's much better to be closer together in the city, to mix social housing with different housing, with offices, with uh, sport places, etc. So I think the concept of all this is evolving fast. And again, all the stakeholders have to deal with it, not only the building materials manufacturers like Saint-Gobain, but architects, city mayors, urban planning. So that's a fascinating challenge and we can bring so much to the population in terms of well-being and to the planet. Now tell me, on this idea of being a solutions-driven company, just explain what that actually means. Give us a couple of examples where maybe you've seen something that needs to be changed to fix Bring it to life for the listeners. What kinds of products or solutions have come out of that process? Something which is very important is that within Sangaban, we used to be organized five years ago by product line. So, you know, it was mostly managed by French people at the center, selling plasterboard around the world, selling, uh, you know, insulation or glass, etc. Now we reorganize ourselves to be organized by country. And we have a rich organization where all our countries most of them are managed by local native managers. It's a Polish lady in Poland. It's a lady from uh, Indonesia in Indonesia. It's a Mexican in Mexico. And they have the ability to deal with all the product lines of Sangaman to put them together in systems and therefore solutions. I give you two examples. If I take a single family home renovation in France, we have documented and measured with our building science that roughly with 30 different products from the roof blowing wool, attic insulation, to double glazing, to external insulation on the facade, flooring systems, you can divide by six times the energy bill of that house and therefore improve the purchasing power of individuals. But you have to cope with the right design in terms of all the products. And in France, we even have distribution outlets. We have 2,000 of them that train the craftsmen on how to install the right design of all the products. So it's a solution, just not one product, but 30 different products. The services in terms of advice, in terms of software on how to design the solution with the craftsmen. And we even go up to the demolition waste if you have to renovate the house and take back the demolition waste in our circular economy to bring recycled materials. So that's one example of a complete solution across all the value chain. I give another example. We made a study in the Benelux to look at schools and we have been able to correlate the absenteeism of teachers with the acoustic or the bad acoustic of a classroom. So if I'm director of a school, 
in the Benelux. I will be happy, of course, to be a good citizen for the planet with good energy efficiency, save on the energy bill so that I can reinvest for computers, materials for the kids or the teachers, save on the CO2, of course, but also take care of my teachers with the right acoustic. Because if the acoustic is wrong in a kind of ceramic tile classroom, you have blood pressure and you have more absenteeism without mentioning that the children would learn much better if they listen well, you know, is it for foreign language, whatever kind of teaching. So this is a kind of solution where we come up with acoustic ceilings, with partitions, with flooring systems, all together to design exactly what is the right level of decibel that you need in a classroom to have a good teaching environment so that everyone could be in a very decent and well-supported environment. So that's the kind of solution. And of course, we do it well because we are organized by country and we have the unique set of offering across so many different product lines that we can put together. For Sangabain to be thinking about you know, how that impacts education and outcomes is fascinating. But tell me, it seems that health, well-being people's quality of life is something that's stitched into quite a lot of the work that you're doing. Many people, again, would think that a construction company was about efficiency, utility, but this notion that it does more, it delivers for people, it seems to be important to you. It is indeed very important because, of course, we have to work and we work very hard. I, I can come back to that you know, for the planet in terms of low carbon offer. We have been the first in the world to launch a, a low carbon glass it's very important to do that, of course. That's our duty, and the construction sector can contribute a lot. But I think it's also very important if we want to engage all our colleagues, our citizens, the population of the world in this journey towards a better planet, we need to bring benefits to them. And uh, it cannot be just additional cost or additional constraint. We need to bring well-being. So for us, sustainable construction it's not only for the planet, but it's also for the well-being of the population. So I mentioned the schools, but, you know, in a hospital, we know that the working environment of the health workers is extremely demanding. We have to pay attention to it. It's not the case, unfortunately, in a lot of situations. Also, we documented that in a hospital, of course, if you have a very, very severe disease, the built environment will not change, unfortunately, the outcome. But if you have uh, something which is more reasonable, you know, instead of 10 days of being at the hospital, if you have visual light, you can relate to the outside world. You can see, well, the next weekend is going to be sunny. I'll be happy to be back with my family. Sometimes you can quit the hospital after 10 days instead of 11 or 12 days because your morale, the psychological support you get just with access of visual light is better. So it will save, of course, on the social security cost. It will accelerate the healing of the patients. So that's a kind of benefit you could see. Another example, you know, in the work environment, visual light is also very important. We, we know that if you don't get visual light during the day, you will sleep not as well at night. So it will, after years, impact your health, of course. It will impact the productivity on the work. So there are many, many benefits. One thing that the construction sector has to do better is to document those benefits. And this is why we have written a white book on schools renovation, a white book on single family renovation. And this is also why at the beginning of this year, we have been the first in the world to do that. We launched an observatory 
of sustainable construction. And we started first with the barometer. We interviewed close to 1,000 constituents around the world in 10 countries, the US, Brazil, China, India, France, on what it means, sustainable construction for you. It was elected officials, architects, contractors, students, and very often they think about the environment. Sustainable construction has to bring something for the environment, but the well-being aspect of it was underestimated. So I think having this observatory of sustainable construction, the barometer will help us move the needle. It will allow us also to understand what are the barriers. Is it the affordability? Is it the documentation of the benefits? So I think there are many, many ways where we need a more holistic approach on sustainable construction and what it can bring to everyone. You know, I, I keep saying that a building, we spend 80% of our time in a building, in a confined space. It was not the case maybe centuries ago where we were, you know, in the field harvesting, etc. But today we spend 80% of our time in buildings within four walls. But it's not just four walls. It's a place where you take care of people, you cure people, you educate, you create, you spend time with your family. So it's extremely important to think about the built environment and the benefit for the people. And then it's interesting because I know you do some interesting work about open innovation and the idea that you're raising the standards for all the industry and putting out ideas about what minimum standards should be is really fascinating. Now, we'll just jump back to materials because you, you flagged something there. I know that people focus a lot on concrete and making concrete better and using less water, which I know that's something you're interested in. But you said, oh, I'd like to come back to the low carbon glass. Why is low carbon glass so important? For us, sustainable construction means, as I say, you know, energy efficiency, it means light construction. It means also that we have to bring the solutions and the motto of Saint-Gobain is minimizing our footprint in terms of manufacturing and CO2 and maximizing the positive impact of our solution. So it's uh, important that we provide a low carbon offer. We have been the first in the world in May 2022 to have, and it was a bit our race to the moon, the way I motivated the teams three years ago, race to the moon. We were born in glass 357 years ago. Let's be the first to have a zero carbon manufacturing of flat glass. And we did it. And since then, we have launched commercially in France, in Spain, and we are spreading in Europe our low carbon glass, ORAE, which is 42% reduction versus normal glass. We have uh, since then also done a zero carbon manufacturing production of plasterboard. We have launched the first plant in the world in Norway with hydropower, electricity versus gas. So that's a zero carbon production of plasterboard. So not only do we bring the benefits to the envelope of the building by dropping the CO2 emission during the lifetime, the heating system, the best energy in a building is the energy you don't spend. And you can divide by six or seven times the energy of a building if you have the right envelope, even before changing the heating system. And on top of that, you can lower the embodied carbon in the material. So this is how we, we move forward with low carbon glass, low carbon plasterboard, and moving up a lot on circular economy. You know, if I take the glass wood insulation that we provide in Ottawa, the plant, it's 88% recycled materials. In Europe, on average, it's 70%, 7-0 of recycled materials in glass wood insulation. So it's a lot of innovation on materials, on circular economy that we have been able to push. And now the challenge, of course, is to scale. We even did it on concrete. 
we have invested a lot. We don't manufacture concrete, but we manufacture additives, admixtures, so that you can divide by three or four times with special additives, special admixtures, the CO2 content of concrete. Usually in a cubic meter of concrete, you have 450 kg of CO2. You can drop it you know, below 150 by substituting the cement, the clinker, with slag, with fly ash, with versatile materials, and you keep the same end properties in terms of mechanical resistance of concrete and other workability properties by adding special admixtures. We do that and we have invested 4 billion euros in various places of construction chemicals to help decarbonize concrete and cement, which is part of the problem in the construction world. Just before we wrap, a couple of last questions. I guess first, what you're describing is clearly what we need. But do you think it's possible to roll this out to fast developing economies as well? I know that you do work in India, for example. I think you have a glass plant there. Are these the sorts of products you think we could find everywhere in the world? Or are their costs or their, are the manufacturing process still limit to where Sangaban can send its new and innovative ideas? No, I'm very confident and optimistic that, and we are doing it. We can uh, spread it around the world and we should not think that, you know, Europe is sometimes very advanced in terms of regulation. US is getting there, but also developing markets are, are moving very fast. India for us, you pick up India is our number three country. Uh, we have six very large glass operations, six plasterboard operations. And, you know, we operate in each country locally. So we have uh, 35 manufacturing plants in India. We have 125 plants in North America. It's very important to have in our country organization this local logistic setup so that you save also on your CO2 transport. And yes, we push up our solutions, you know, with light construction. Developing country, it's not so much related to retrofit of existing buildings. We know that in Europe, we have to retrofit 85% of the buildings. In developing countries, it's more light construction Light construction means you put the load bearing on pillars, not a full wall of concrete blocks or bricks. And you can save with light materials like glass, like wallboard, plasterboard, like what we are doing in India. You can save 50% of the weight of the materials and the CO2. So we provide those solutions in India. We have two plasterboard plants also in Vietnam, in Thailand, in Malaysia. So we are accelerating around the world. Mexico as well is a very important country for us. And in all those countries, you know, we participate in the green building councils. Very often we chair them. So we have this ability to scale up the solutions of Sangaba. We have been very happy to participate in some uh, iconic uh, designs in India. For instance, we renovated the new parliament of India with uh, close to 20 different solutions of Sangaba. So there are many, many ways to do that. And we even launched in India 150 what we call home centers is to get close to the final homeowners and to design and promote the best solution. So I think developing you know, countries are moving fast and are also a very large source of inspiration for all of us. We're obviously at this point of change. You've described it as a crossroads, as, as a moment of flux. If you look, use your crystal ball and you look forwards five years, 10 years, give us a couple of things that you think will have come to pass that will be standards for the industry in the next few years. I think the CO2 content of materials will become a standard, whether we put it on the packaging or somewhere, but it will become a standard. If I take Saint-Gobain, we have 
you know, 75% of all our products around the world where we have the full life cycle analysis, environmental product uh, footprint. So I think that will become a standard. The second, I think, will be the measurement of what you should get when you retrofit a building or when you build something new. So it's not only in the drawings, it's not only in the high-level talks on what you should receive at the end of the construction or the retrofit, you will measure it. So you will come with sensors before and after. We do it, for instance, in the UK. In 24 hours, we have sensors able to tell you this was the performance of energy and air quality of your house before. This is the promise that we offer to you and we will measure it. So for me, the CO2 footprint of any building and material will be there and it will be good because you will use buildings at the bank of materials, a bank of data. So the data on materials will be important. And second, the measurement of the before and after so that we deliver exactly to the promise on the acoustic performance, the CO2 evolution, the energy efficiency. Those two avenues, I think, will get there in the next 10 years. And finally, Tommy, so we go back to Bunoir joining the company in 1999. At this point, when you get to leave the office at the end of the day, when you go to see your partners around the world, what gives you the most pleasure? I'm sure you have to keep an eye on the P&L, but is it being part of this bigger climate change of pushing dynamism into the construction industry. What makes you proud to be the, the CEO at the end of the day? You know, for me, the, the source of energy I get is that all the 168,000 employees of Saint-Gobain are super talented and super motivated by the purpose of Saint-Gobain, making the world a better home, sustainability, well-being of the population, and what we deliver to our customers. There is not a single employee of Saint-Gobain who is not aligned willing to go faster on that. So it's a huge source of energy. Energy is always two ways. You know, I give a lot of energy to the team, but I take back a lot of data. And I can tell you that this uh, corporate social responsibility is well embedded in our actions for all employees. We have a foundation. We have also a lot of sponsorship and philanthropy organizations that we follow and support. So this alignment and the energy and the skills and the brains and the talents of the teams of saint is extremely important for me. And my goal is always to make sure that I reward them, I provide them with the right resources so that they can unleash all their talents around the world. The second thing is that being an advocate of those solutions and how fast and how deep we can impact the planet, we can impact the life of so many inhabitants around the world is a source of motivation. And I wish, you know, in 10 years from now, I could look at the teams of Saint-Gobain and say, hey, you did deliver a fantastic journey on our mission, on our purpose. You had a lot of pride and also a lot of fun in that. You find a lot of self-fulfillment in your own job. And second, Saint-Gobain has been at the forefront of all those initiatives, the front runner on sustainable construction. And we have convinced and we have delivered the proof of the pudding to so many architects, home builders, homeowners, governments around the world. So this advocacy part to say the technical solution exists, we will, we can make a change. That's something which is motivating and I hope we will accelerate in the next years to come. Benoit Bazin, Managing Director of Saint-Gabin. 
Thank you so much for your time and for joining us today on The Urbanist. And that's all for this week's episode of The Urbanist. Remember to sign up to the podcast, get new episodes direct to you every single week. And to learn more about how exactly San Gaban is building a brighter future, head to san-gaban.com now. The Urbanist is produced by Carlotta Rabello and David Stevens, and David also edited the show. And to play you out this week, well, here's Simple Minds with Theme for Great Cities. Thank you for listening, city lovers. 